So this is Dr. Bill Sinyard, and this is my Easter 2021 podcast. Welcome to all three of my podcasts, Gospel Rant, Haven't Heard That Before, and The Forgiving Path, right? Three separate podcasts, uh, usually, but this is Easter. I'm doing the same podcast for all three, and you can see why. It serves as a shameless plug for the two sites that you haven't been listening to. Real briefly, The Gospel Rant is all about exploring the simple, uncluttered gospel through the entire Bible. And by the way, in science and neuroscience and attachment theory, in ways maybe you haven't heard it before that hopefully will change your life. In this podcast, I'm allowed to rant. We're in the middle of a rant on the book of Romans. Uh, I'm saying that it's the book of microaggressors, that Paul is really sticking his fingers in the eyes of of the religious Christians and, and today. And we're getting loads of positive feedback and pushback from folks. Good. Uh, we want it to be a dialogue. So let the dialogue begin. Haven't heard that before is about applying the simple uncluttered gospel to our mental health struggles, our issues, mommy and daddy issues, our relationship with God, our faith, faith issues, our anxiety and fear and loneliness, suicide ideation, PTSD. I mean, look, so many struggles today, Christians too. And we just haven't done a good job of speaking into Christians' lives with the gospel. We can do so much better. And and that's the reason that we created the dance, by the way, the online interactive uh, experiential path. Wouldn't it be great, just listen, to be freed from that inner critical voice for a few hours? I mean, we think so. And check it out, www.the-dance.org. And then there's the Forgiving Path podcast. This podcast is in cahoots alongside of the online experiential path, the Forgiving Path. By the way, over a thousand Christians have been through the Forgiving Path with amazing results. Did you know Barna says that a quarter of Christians can't forgive something or someone, even though Jesus said we're supposed to a lot? And so those Christians, many of them feel like a failure, and they're just the ones who admit it and feel like they're a disappointment to Jesus. We think that many times we haven't forgiven because we've been told wrongly how to biblically do it. So provocative? Check that out, www.forgivingpath.com. All three podcasts are on speaker or verbal, V-U-R-B-L. Check them out and uh, pass them on. You know friends and relatives and pastors and counselors and social workers and 12-step buddies uh, could use the help as well. So, Easter. I want to look at a very familiar Easter verse, but in a different light. Uh, let me rant a little on Isaiah 53, 3-7. You likely have not heard it this way before, uh, and that's what we want to do. We want to look at things differently, biblically, but different, so we can think about it and process it, so it changes our brain, it captures our brain's attention. And this is so helpful, as you'll see for those of us who struggle, and who doesn't? So Isaiah 53, 3-7, let me read it from the NIV. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. Verse 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. 
The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Verse 6, we all like sheep have gone astray, and each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Verse 7, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and a sheep before her shearers is silent, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. All right, let me tell you about Jesus based upon Isaiah 53. Um, and look, think of the dance. If you've wondered if you were alone and feeling like a disappointment or that you were seen as a person who has fallen short by everyone in your life, that, that you haven't lived up to the expectations of your dad, your mom, your family, your church, God, uh, your teachers, the mirror. I want you to hear this about Jesus. I mean, really, really hear this about Jesus. It begins with a very bold statement uh, referring to Jesus. Despised, despicable, contemptible, right? It's, it's just a passive participle. Uh, we add the he was. It's just this bold, upfront, despised, meaning that when Isaiah thinks about the Messiah, considers the Messiah, prophetically imagines the Messiah in his brain, the first descriptor, the overarching descriptor that he notices is that he's despised, not tall, not tall or handsome or strong or confident, despised. When others see him, why would they think something differently from Isaiah? or speak of him differently. They generally speak of him having little weight, little value, just not worthy of being paid attention to. He was despised. Can you imagine that's how Jesus walked this earth? That's not how we portray him so much. It'd be too painful to do that, to imagine that humanity treated him that way. But prophetically, we did. And Isaiah continues, abandoned of men, implying that not only do the people just not take notice, they ignore him. They turn their eyes away. They purposely choose to not acknowledge him. That he's in the room, that he's on the road. Remember, we're speaking of Jesus, right? God the Son. I mean, he was noticed by blind people, by Samaritan women, by demoniacs. But it seems like the Jews overlooked him. Many horrible. Really? Back to Isaiah, he was a man of pain, man of suffering. Well, what pain? What suffering? Normally, we we ascribe that to the cross, but it surely, in context, it includes the rest of his life, or at least a chunk of his life, maybe his ministry. If we look at the time frame of the sentence, it's hard to see it limited to just the hours on the cross. So I think it's totally kosher to see in this emotional suffering loneliness and isolation that he felt he regularly experienced from the touching intimacy that he had with the Father. And you may say, well, he was with the disciples. You can be with people and still isolated and lonely. And I'm suggesting that's what Isaiah is saying. We often see Jesus's desire to pray to the Father as an act of obedience, right? And that's how we teach it. Jesus did it, so let's do it too. Or he wanted to stay in touch with the Father. He wanted to get wisdom from the Father or strength from the Father. But what if what if there was more? What if the need for Jesus to experience the intimacy with his Father was due to deep loneliness? An experience of that. I mean, humanly speaking, right? Trying to get relief from the deep interpersonal rejecting he 
rejection he was experiencing among us. So he was a man of pain. Wow. Maybe you can relate, right? Is this how you feel? Is this how you would describe yourself at times? Are you a man or woman or boy or girl of pain? Emotional, uh, relational, identity, spiritual pain. And I think some of the crazy things that young adults do and older adults too is we're looking for an end to the pain. We want to self-medicate. We want to get over the loneliness and the isolation and the, the struggle with sexuality and such. And it's a nagging wound that you just can't ignore. You can't deny. You can't hide from, right? 24-7, it's always there. All right, back to Isaiah. Knowing, and, and that's is being intimate with, sickness, chronic suffering, agony, right? Man. And again, this is hard to just put uh, on Jesus just during the hours on the cross. I mean, certainly it was there, but I'm suggesting that this went way beyond the hours on the cross and speaks of the years of Jesus, maybe the, the three years in ministry. What if our image of Jesus and what he was experiencing, right, as a 3D person with emotions has been way too shallow, two-dimensional? What if he suffered, humanly speaking, from shame, humanly speaking, and loneliness, humanly speaking, much of his day-to-day existence? Again, it's a mystery, but what if, what if that was his calling? Then, if that's the case, then we could say, really, as the Bible says, boy, he knows what many of you are going through. He knows. It wasn't just for a couple of hours. He lived it. He really did. And by the way, Jesus knew his calling 600 years before he did it, right? Isaiah. And Isaiah describes it in horrific terms. I mean, if this is the job description, who would accept it? Who would accept this mission? And yet Jesus did. Wow. All right, back to Isaiah. Like one from whom men hide their faces. Well, why do people look away from somebody else? Why do they ignore another human being? It's generally not because they fear them. And it certainly wouldn't be the case in Isaiah's context. It's because man, they just don't think much of them at all. Because when you look into someone's face, you honor them and you're showing respect. And, and most importantly, if your eyes dilate, your pupils dilate, it, the person gets it that you're glad to see them. They feel honored. They feel important to you. They can see that you appreciate them, want them there, enjoy them there. So imagine that you enter a room. And by the way, maybe this is you. Uh, you entered a room recently and nobody acknowledged you. No one said hello. No one was interested enough to come and see you, to look you in the eyes. And, and you know, that subconscious automatic pupil dilation. Look, after a few years of that over and over and over, night after night, day after day, workplace after workplace, why wouldn't you be depressed? Why wouldn't you think of self-medication or um, suicide? like one from whom men hide their faces. This is the opposite of being worshipped as God, right? Of being adored as God. 
And, and what if Jesus submitted to this? He accepted this. And then if you get it, we know what that feels like. Maybe, look, maybe as long as you've remembered, you've been used by people, not honored, abused, treated like you were nothing, objectified, certainly not seen by people or institutions in your life that should have brought you love, respect, and safety. I mean, think of racism in this context, right? And it feels like this. The people that you care about or or you want to care about you, they just hide their faces. It's it's intentional. A summary phrase from Isaiah is next, despised and not regarded. We, he could have, we could have interpreted that shame, shamed and ignored, treated with contempt and just overlooked. Uh, these are just not words for some of you. Honestly, if you resonate with this, then you're one of the ones we created the dance for because we want you to experience the opposite of this at least for a couple hours so that you can begin to breathe and imagine some a different reality for you. All right, in verses four, we see something remarkable and, and hopeful for all of us. Surely he lifted up, took off our shoulders, and put on his backs our sufferings, our sickness. Same word that, that was in verse three. We were told that he had his own sickness and sufferings. It wasn't as if he had none, and so therefore he had plenty of room for hours, for, you know, for a couple hours. No. He was dealing with his own. He entered in, and now he accepts ours. That's a heroic Savior. That's a sympathetic Savior. That's an empathetic Savior. This is the God we worship. This is the God we sing about and tell other hurting people about. And then he takes the load on his shoulders, meaning he carries it, meaning we don't have to anymore, right? Our sorrows. Again, it's the same word as in the previous verse. One thing about him, when you think of him, you would associate sorrows with him because he was a man of sorrows. Again, he understood what you have gone through, what you are going through before he chose to, before he volunteered to take yours on himself. Again, heroic, loving, sacrificial savior. So I want to toss this into the interpretation, and it makes so much more sense than some translations, right? So so here we go. But we thought he was being stricken, smitten, and afflicted by God. See, but we thought. Uh, it's a different it's a different feel. Uh, it's implied for his own. We we thought he was being punished by God for his own shortcomings. That's what we thought. Why else? We were wrong. It's just that we thought when we looked at him and how his life was going and how he was being mistreated and overlooked and abused, we thought he was being punished for his own sins by a righteous God. It had to be, right? Why would God punish a righteous man? But we got it all wrong, Isaiah said. But, but, not so. He was profaned. I mean, that's an old word for treated with irreverence and disrespect. He was profaned with this preposition. I can't find another instance where this preposition is ever translated as because of. He was disrespected with our sins, Pasha, and crushed with our sins, Avon. 
meaning this is, he, he took on our sins. He was punished with our sins. And, and Isaiah finishes on the punishment of our peace, very strange idiom upon him and by his wounds healing to us. It's a very difficult passage. I think we mess it up by misinterpreting uh, the preposition again, but he was profaned, uh, treated with disrespect with our sins and crushed with, with our sins and the punishment of our peace was upon him and by his wounds healing to us. Clumsy translation, but I think some of the phrases now pop off the, the Hebrew scroll fresh, I hope. So let me suggest that two things are happening here. It's picked up a later in a later verse in Isaiah 53, a kind of a summary verse. If you look at verse 10, here it is. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him, to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord make his makes his life a guilt offering, that's what I want to focus on. He will see his offspring and prolong his day and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. So it's a positive outcome, but the Lord wills that he become a guilt offering. Very important. Uh, I think we misunderstand this uh, speaking of the Old Testament. All right. When you hear the phrase guilt offering, we almost automatically think that the key role of the guilt offering was to pay for the legal crime of the sin. So you do a sin, you bring a guilt offering, and it's paid for. It's what the law requires. It is. Read Leviticus. But it also was designed, ultimately, to remove the feeling of guilt, the feeling of remorse from the perpetrator so that their relationship with God would be experienced as right again. Right? It's not just the law says the goal of the perpetrator was to get back right with God. Without that assurance deep in our brain, how would we ever know it was enough? You with me? In Hebrews 10, uh, verses 1 to 2, very similar. The author argues that the guilt offerings weren't very good at it, not 100%. Emotional guilt remained after the physical offerings uh, until Jesus. And so the people of God, even though they participated in the guilt offerings, never really knew if God demanded more, if they were on probation. They never felt right with God until Jesus becomes the pinnacle guilt offering. Now we can experience at last a freedom from the emotion of guilt and can boldly come, that's what the author of Hebrews says happens, for the first time into the presence of God without fear of being rejected, of of him looking away, of being smitten, uh, of him turning away in disgust. What is the means, uh, according to Hebrews, that we feel this freedom the, the power, where does it come from? Well, Hebrews 10, 15, he says it's the Holy Spirit. Exactly, that's what we've been saying. Once again, and we major on this in all things we do at the Gospel App Ministries, it is the wheelhouse, the passion, the power of the Spirit in us to make us feel, right? not help us, that's wimpy, to make us feel that we are right with God. Uh, where we did feel guilty and ashamed, now we feel right with God a little bit, adored, esteemed, and cherished, that he's proud of us. Have you heard that before? Have you heard it recently? Have you heard it today? So, in the gospel app shape, the 
prime teaching tool that we use at the Gospel app and the Take Heart YZ Discipleship Spiritual Formation Programs. We use a stick figure. We call them stick on a, on a single line path. And the path goes to the right and then down, curves down into stick doing reactionary, self-focused, sinful behaviors, right? It's like a, a downward path. And inciting the downward path are four powers that work upon stick four forces. And here they are, guilt, shame, an orphan bent or independence, and addiction, right? A guilt, shame, orphan bent, and addiction. So 24-7, stick, that's us, are afflicted to one degree or another by all four. And guilt is what we begin to feel, remorse, when we mess up, when we're caught, when we do something wrong, when we think that, when we think of what God is thinking, the Bible's clear. He hates sin. He punishes sin. So we can at least on our own imagine God in heaven looking down at us with a holy anger, arms crossed, finger uh, near the smite button, and just, you know, shaking his head in disgust. Because God and I are not right. Our relationship's not right or righteous, right? I feel, we feel guilt. But 2,000 years ago on the cross, Jesus went to a trial. The cross is a metaphorical trial before the judge, God, his father, on my behalf and on behalf of every child of God ever. He was found guilty for any and all of my falling shorts, intentional and unintentional, all of my sins and crimes against God, humanity, and creation. Jesus stood in my place as a willing substitute. But legally, I was there. Legally, it was as if I was there. I mean, I wasn't. That was 2,000 years ago. But nevertheless, legally, I was there. And legally, I was found absolutely guilty. I get that. I don't have a problem with that. The prescribed punishment for the celestial rebellion is death. Again, I, I agree with that as well. Jesus willingly took that punishment, my rightful punishment, on his shoulders. He died, but it was me there, right, legally. And it was me who died. So he, he died literally, and it was me who died legally. So Isaiah's right. No surprise. He was killed with my sins. Right? That's the right preposition. An idiom for the trial, the charge, the sentencing, and the punishment. The just punishment that was required by the court, God's court, was fully addressed, fully paid by him in my place. So in my record, my legal dossier and the police files, I am guilty, sentenced to death, and checked the death was paid, and the justice of the court was com completed to the letter. There was full legal compliance. God didn't wave his hands and overlook anything. It was all paid for. And so now, for a, a John Newton hymn, justice smiles and asks no more. So, in the gospel app shape, imagine an opposite arrow to the downward arrow of guilt, and we represent it as guilt with a line through it, like guilt is crossed off. And so per the gospel app shape, this is one of the four things that Jesus alone did for me 2,000 years ago. And and the more I experience that force, there's, a, there's another line that goes up for stick uh, into selfless behavior. That's the idea. Spiritual formation, right? So now, because of what Jesus did, guilt with a line through it, God and I are right if and when I look up into the face of God, metaphorically, right, I do not see disappointment or anger or condemnation. So when I look in the eyes of the Spirit, 
so to speak. I don't see disappointment or probation. God not in heaven crosses his, crossing his arm, despising me, shaking his head. When I look in his eyes, there's nothing but joy and gladness related to me. And I have to imagine that this is at least part of what Isaiah referred to when he says the punishment of peace of shalom upon him. Now God and I are good. There's zero conflict, no probation. My relationship from God's perspective is peace. No offensiveness, no reason for probation, contempt, not on his part. What was fractured, our relationship, is now healed. And that's the essence of the doctrine of substitutionary atonement. Okay? But I think there's more. It's the second thing that I think Isaiah is saying. Isaiah is also saying that Jesus willingly, purposefully carried my infirmities, my sorrows, my afflictions, my pain, my angst, my shame. We often miss this in the broader legal substitution discussion to our detriment, and that's historically too bad. But here we go. Beloved, beat up one. What if 2,000 years ago, Jesus not only experienced what you're experiencing, shame, contempt, abuse, disregard, being overlooked, looked down upon, mocked, bullied, treated as small, not worthy of being loved, uh, uh, people turning away from you. Uh, uh, people, your parents saying you didn't live up to their standards, you're not lovable, fill in the blank. So Jesus experienced all that so that he is the God who knows. It is amazing grace, right? But he doesn't stop there. One of the reasons he came and endured the cross was to mysteriously take your pain, your agony, your sufferings upon his shoulders. Take it off of you, Right? What if one of the reasons that the Holy Spirit is actually dwelling in your inner being right now, again, because of the cross, is to make you feel your suffering removed a bit, relieved a bit, and God's adoration towards you right now as you are to experience that a bit, the opposite of all of the sufferings, right? What if that is what Isaiah meant by, in his wounds, we are healed, healed, right? In heaven, this is for sure. It's got to happen in heaven. But what if we have missed this as an ongoing action here and now, empowered by the Holy Spirit? Not perfectly. Again, that's heaven, but noticeably so. What if we Christians are carrying something we don't need to? A little or a lot. And the second upward arrow in the gospel app shape, by the way, go to the website, gospel-app.com, and you can see this, uh, this shape and a video about it, but uh, see a second upward arrow opposite the downward arrow, shame, and we call it right, short for righteousness. Righteousness, uh, we take as as the right actions, legal actions, the actions according to the law, but at its core, it's a relationship word. Like shame is a relational relationship word. Shame imagines that one is not worthy of relationship. Shamed people feel like they're a disappointment to others. And so why look into their eyes hoping for an attaboy or an girl or I like you or I love you or I'm pleased with you? So to avoid the pain of seeing disappointment, the contempt and criticism, they look away. They avoid, they hide their eyes. The shamed person relationally doesn't feel right with self or with others or with God, but, but, it's the secret working of the Spirit, says John Calvin, to make shamed ones, that's us, feel the love and adoration of God as we are right now, not as we should be. 
Wouldn't that make a difference? Am I right? And again, this is one of the reasons that we created the dance for beat up, shamed, overlooked Christians who feel like failures, who feel like they've fallen short, who have uh, maybe mommy and daddy issues or God issues or church issues. And they want to feel the adoration of God again as they are, but they don't know how. If you haven't been through the dance, www.the-dance.org, please, I'm begging you to do it. It's part of the three-dimensional aspect of being a child of God, a beloved child of God. Substitutionary atonement should include that, but it has for too long been seen as something that happened in the past that just made me, uh, made God stop being angry at me. And it did. But 2000, and, and Jesus accomplished that 2000 years ago, but he did so much more. And imagine if we experience day to day a little bit more a sense of adoration from God through the Holy Spirit, right? Well, we don't. And there is a nasty, critical voice in all of our heads that's 24 7 telling us that we're not worthy, that we screwed up, that we've fallen short, that we're a disappointment to God and others, that we lack faith. Or we have a broken faith or not a good enough faith that we're not good enough. And the critical voice I call the, uh, mine the beast is very powerful, relentless and constant. And we can access, we can by faith, uh, Paul writes in Ephesians three, a resisting opposite force, force from the Holy Spirit who's been given to us, says John Calvin, largely for this very reason. So we can begin to hear a different voice this Easter. The voice of Jesus' very spirit, the one who knows us, the one who knows us and adores us as we are. So to be clear, uh, so that I'm not brought up on heresy charges, my justification was done once for all times, 2,000 years ago, by Jesus on the cross on my behalf. And we who are believers are justified, all of us, made right with God, perfectly so, and are afforded all the love in the universe that Jesus' perfect life and faithfulness purchased. And that's put into our approved CV, or bio, and we will perfectly experience that in heaven. But this is the truth. God the Father right now loves us as much as the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father, all because of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. He can't love us any more or any less than he does right now. We can't add to it or take away from it. Jesus purchased that love for me on the cross. I think that Isaiah is saying that. Having it and experiencing it are two different things. Am I right? And Paul models in Ephesians 3, like I've said, how we can begin to daily experience it a little bit more. Not perfectly, but a little bit more. We can ask God to give us his power through the spirit in our inner being so that we can begin to grasp the height and width and length and depth of the love of Christ for us right now. Simple. Everything that we do in the gospel app, the two spiritual formation programs, the two experiential spiritual paths, soon to be three, the small group studies, the podcast, the blogs, is to explore and proclaim that. We Christians desperately need to hear it and, and know it every day, all the more. I mean, certainly in, in the COVID era, where anxiety is up and depression is up and suicide ideation is up, we Christians need to desperately hear this. So, when the nasty critical voice says, but you're not worthy, the spirit inside of you will say, and you by faith will hear this through the Holy Spirit, God loves unworthy people, and he certainly loves this one. Wouldn't it be great? And when the voice says, look at how others treat you, your earthly father or mother or church, 
why would you think that God's going to treat you differently? Well, the spirit inside of you will say, and you will hear, and yet God is different. He adores this one. Then he makes you actually feel that a little bit, really feel it. Well, that's what spiritual formation should be all about, to actually begin to experience the love of God for you that Jesus purchased for. It would certainly change things, my sense of significance and security and belonging. Well, this is Easter. Uh, Would it be great to experience a full Lord benefit of what Jesus did for you? Right? And to know it is different from experiencing it. At Gospel App and Take Heart YZ, and in particular, the dance, we can teach you what we have learned and struggled with and what has made a massive difference in our lives and the lives of others. Not perfect, that's reserved for heaven, but noticeable. Wouldn't this Easter, you like to hear God himself say, you are my beloved child with whom I am well pleased? Yeah, good news. Jesus' stripes, his wounds paid for that. Well, he's risen indeed, and he has taken on your many wounds and scars and given you the Holy Spirit to begin to feel his adoration of you as you are, not as you should Amen. Take heart, child of God. Finding uplifting news in today's headlines is often like searching for a needle in a haystack. At the Story Behind podcast, we believe in the power of finding heartwarming tales and are happy to share empowering stories with you every week. Hear about how Steve Harvey surprised a dying man on Family Feud with $25,000. Get inspired by the note a waitress received from a patron dining alone. And even hear about how one VIP passenger made a hardworking pilot get emotional before his flight. To start listening to the Story Behind podcast, visit lifeaudio.com or search Story Behind on your favorite podcast platform.